Thank you for joining us for our 10th episode of iArt New York on Radio Free Brooklyn. The music we've just been listening to is the new single, 1969, by the American Nomads. iArt New York is a talk show that brings you reviews of exhibitions in the New York City area, as well as interviews with artists and curators and creatives in the art field. Today, we have the pleasure of having in the RFB studios three artists who have created the public gallery and artist studio collective in Williamsburg named the Royal Society of American Art. iArt New York is brought to you by your host Isabella Gola who is an artist independent curator and works at the Polish Cultural Institute New York where she's head of programming of visual arts and design and by myself Rebecca Major I'm an artist studying masters of art history and currently a curatorial intern at the Jewish Museum New York. So getting back to our program, the Royal Society of American Art, also known as RSOAA for short, is located at 400 South 2nd Street in Williamsburg and is organized uh, through a partnership of artists providing artists, studios, and exhibition space. The Royal Society of American Art was founded in 2013 by Martin Colanda and Jason Clay Lewis and is an independently run space with the mission to promote the creation and appreciation of visual arts. The Royal runs artist studios on the premises as well as curated exhibitions aimed at promoting dialogue and engagement while working within a wide range of thematic interests and media. The Royal, which is the exhibition space within the larger institution, mounts two open call exhibitions every year, an annual exhibition and their summer exhibition, both open to all artists. In addition, they maintain a continuous exhibition program highlighting the work of American and international artists. So moving forward, I'd like to offer some background on our guests, whom we have the pleasure of having in our studios today. Welcome. Jason Clay Lewis is the director and co-founder of The Royal at 
RSOAA, where he is in charge of managing daily operations. He originally came to New York on an apprenticeship at Universal Limited Art Editions and then worked alongside Jasper Johns as his personal studio assistant. He's a painter and has both shown and curated extensively in New York and internationally. Amelia Bewald is an artist, curator, and partner of the Royal. Spanning a variety of materials, she creates large-scale installations combining intricate paintings and sculpture that mingle fact and fiction, examining the convergence of myth, custom, history, and science. She has received artists' awards, including the Skowhegan School Residency, a Bush Artist Fellowship, a Jerome Artist Fellowship, and a Minnesota State Arts Board Award. And Janet Rutkowski is a native New Yorker and a partner at the Royal, where she is active in curatorial programming. Janet's works span a wide range of media, including stone, wood carving, metalwork, and ceramics. She creates large-scale abstract sculptures, which have also extended into architectural site-specific works. During her formative years, her mentors included artists Arturo Di Modica, creator of the iconic Wall Street Bull sculpture, and Sebastiano and Ron Minio. And she received her training at Art Life Studios and the Sculpture Center in Manhattan. Her sculptural installation was recently on view at the Rockland Center for the Arts, which opened April 27th, and has had an interview which was published in the April edition of RB Magazine. So welcome, everyone. We're so excited that you are here today. Thank you, Rebecca and Isabella. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Story in the art world where I actually had another space down on Grand Street between uh, Wyeth and Kent for about 10 years. And I had um, several, I had two spaces plus an artist studio myself. And um, at that point, we sort of, I had sort of like a group of friends, maybe a dozen people, and we'd all go out to openings just about every week. And um, it would sort of vary who came. But for about a year, um, and a half or two years of Martin and I actually kind of talked about, you know, what we really need to do is like, I was still curating shows, but it was like, we need to run a gallery. And so he was actually really interested in this idea. And then what I say, the typical story is the building got bought out and everybody got kicked out of the building. So we like right away just said, well, let's start looking for a space. I mean, I'm getting kicked out anyway. So we have like, you know, two or three months basically. And so um, we started looking around and um, we basically found the space that we're in now and we just automatically like put down down payment and ready to go. And it was like, well, if we have if we're having a space, we're going to have a gallery. We might as well come up with a name. And a few years before that, there was like the dot com boom. And so he and his friends sort of like in that age where people were speculating on URLs and getting websites and things together, he was sitting around with his friends and talking about, you know, obviously there's no royals in America and how ironic and funny it would be to create our own Royal Society of American Art in New York or in America just because it doesn't exist. And that's actually where the name come from. Yeah, I love how it's so antithesis to the, you know, the white wall trend of like these kind of um, oversimplified names like index or white walls, white comps. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it kind of goes counter to that notion of the 
bare or minimal. It's like anti-minimalist aesthetic. Although your space is still white walls. It's not like it's covered in velvet or... <laughs> yeah, but it was just like, I mean, if you saw it when we first moved in, it was just a huge open warehouse. The roof in the back was leaking. The There was dirt on the floor, or there was dirt because there was no concrete back there. We had to build all the walls, and so it's basically a 2,400-square-foot railroad space. We built all the studios, so there's actually um, seven studios and then the gallery in front. And then trying to separate the studios from the gallery, I was like, we need a different name because I want the whole space to be called something and then let's just shorten it to the Royal for the gallery. And that also sort of came about because he developed a, a, we needed a logo, of course, for the website and just to use in general. And we started building all these different things, elements that were in, in our logo, basically. So there's like... Um, there's there's a crown at the top. There's underneath the crown. There is um, a Captain America shield. There's a star underneath that. There's a, a knight's helmet underneath that. There's several um, little icons for art, and then also for like science fiction. Um, some of the early like space cadet from the 1950s. Underneath that, there's a Marcel Duchamp's um, wheel on the pedestal. It's actually upside down, and then there's a lion and a unicorn on either side. And basically, I said he had two lions on there at one point, and I said we want something on there that doesn't exist, like basically what our name is it doesn't it's something we're all striving for but it's not really real and so, so the logo is kind of amalgamation of a dot, lot of different a crest it, it's our crest it's our crest yeah, yeah. but it, it goes along with the name just because it's basically ironic there's uh, there's some humor in it things like that all these tiny little you know easter eggs basically that sort of go along with the space about kind of what we're about yeah amelia did you also have like a part in that creation of the well, Jason and I had known each other before as friends and just uh, artists in general. And um, that's one of the things that really struck me is how funny I thought the name was. And it made me think of the time I was at Goldsmiths College in London. And it made me think of that. And um, I went to his first inaugural opening and the few following that. And I just thought it was a great space. And I'm really excited to be part of it now. So tell us about the background history and how it came about, what was at stake in forming of the foundation, the cornerstone of what became of the Royal Society of American Art. And then Amelia and Janet, I would love to hear your stories of how you brought in your visions and how you became part of this establishment. So um, we took over the space about six and a half years ago, and um, almost seven years ago now. And when we had to first build out the space, we um, we I got renters in there, and then it was like we got got to get the gallery up and running. So I started curating shows for about four years in in the gallery, and it was just um, every once in a while um, during the summertime I had an independent curator, and there was one other time I think I had an independent curator come. And but most of the shows I all curated myself, and then once again it's another typical story of our building is this building got sold also and so it's a huge building with like 19 apartments and they're actually building another dozen apartments basically up above right now so there was a lot of um like what is going to happen with the space are we going to kick, get kicked out of another space even though we had another two years on this lease so because they were trying to like the people upstairs went um they 
we're giving them a hard time trying to kick them out, double the rents. I mean, typical story, basically. So for about a year and a half or so, I actually rented the front space, just worried about um, what was going to happen with us as soon as our lease came up. And plus, we had to, you know, you had to pay rent, of course. Um, basically, this last year in 2018, they came to us and, you know, wanted us to sign on for another lease and continue. And at that point, um, it was like, okay, now I feel really comfortable and I can start reach out to some friends and get the gallery back up and running. And so because of a couple of the spaces that are here in Brooklyn, I thought maybe it'd be great if we had some partners and had individual curators to be part of the gallery and give it some real energy and so within that was just basically at the first of the year and I reached out to maybe 12 of my artist friends and within four days I had my four partners already and that's kind of how it happened Amelia and I had already actually talked about it before uh, maybe a couple months before then not really knowing I was thinking it was coming but it hadn't actually happened when we signed the lease yet and so and then she came on as I think the fourth of the four partners that have joined so uh, our mutual friend uh, conceptual artist Richard Human uh, called me and said my friend Jason is looking for some curators for a space in Williamsburg and I think that this is something you should do and I was like okay We'll when was it. that? How long so that was um, February. Uh, April or March, March or April, I think, something like that. And um, Maybe February. It could have been February because we started it, year. I think, yeah, this year, and then we started yeah. having shows in April, right. I think. So um, it wasn't something I had done before officially. I've put on a lot of group shows. Uh, I lived in Long Island City in the early 80s before I moved to Greenpoint. So I was doing a lot of open studio shows and organizing those type of events. But I've, and I've been peripherally involved with some galleries, but this was a commitment. So he said, you want to do this. So I met Jason, and I liked him immediately. So I knew that, yes, okay, this is something I'd like to do. And then Jason found the other two women, that's uh, Katie and Ilona, and um, we all met. So actually, Janet, uh, from your website, I see um, that you had an involvement with, uh, with the Brookhouse Gallery, which, you, uh, which was established in October of 2010, right. with you and uh, your husband, Walter Kenul. Well, he was involved, but actually um, they were two friends of mine, David Bush and Louise Aragon, opened that gallery, and it was in a small town where I have a studio of Barryville, New York, and they said we would like to bring on a core group of people that help to curate shows. So they asked me, and I said, okay. And it turned out to be a wonderful relationship, and we had one show a month in a small place where there were a lot of second homers and a lot of artists hiding. Um, and it was very, very successful. We sold a lot of work. We had a big turnout of our shows. So, yes, I was involved in that. Um, so, did you bring any experience from that time to yes, the Royal? Yes, I, I hope so. Wonderful. <laughs> yes, yes, the rest of my partners, but so, I believe so, yes. So, Amelia, uh, tell us about your involvement and your vision, what you brought to the Royale. Well, uh, as Jason had said previously, I had asked him and said I was interested in, you know, 
I don't know in what capacity, but helping out or joining or something to the space. And he called me one day when I was at my studio working, and he asked me if I wanted to do it. And I think I said yes right away because <laughs> uh, I had already been thinking about doing something like that. And I think the space is really great, and it's the location's good for me living in in Ridgewood, right on the border of uh, Bushwick. And it was just something that I had always really wanted to do and get started. And it seemed like um, I could bring a lot of my experience working in the arts and galleries in the past and also teaching art. I could bring that experience to this new space. Mm -hmm. And just to let our listeners know, you have um, created one of the exhibitions already this year, and it was entitled Strange Relations, Spectral Impressions, which was on view from May 3rd through the 26th. And it was a three-person exhibition featuring optically lush paintings, focusing on color and pattern while considering primitive art in historical terms and its relation to the ethereal, the outer-worldly, and cosmic fields. And Janet, your exhibition from this year was entitled Dark and Turbulent Galaxies, which was on view April 5th through the 28th. And it was a five-person exhibition, including sculpture, painting, and works on paper that um, included your artworks also. Yes, it did. Um, the exhibition focused on concerns circulating around uh, humanity's relationship to the universe, addressing our fascination and fear of the celestial and the unknown. Actually, our first show was curated by Katie Hector, and she yeah. did that in a heartbeat. Um, because we had just signed our, you know, partnership with the gallery, and I think she had about two weeks to get it together. Was that and the one entitled Puppies, Puppies and Flowers? Flowers. Yes. yes, which was a brilliant show. Yeah. We had a great reception. It, uh, it really opened the whole beginning properly. But she um, she was on quite a deadline. She was, it was very impressive. So she had two weeks to find the artists and from start to finish yes. yeah so on the website yeah puppies and flowers was on view march 5th through the 31st and that was a group exhibition of paintings curated by katie hector that reimagined the subject of the domestic to reveal a contemporary unvarnished reality in dialogue with this historical convention the artists in the show interpreted the world through this motif within the genre of the domestic I wish I'd seen that. I, it looked really. Well, you could see it on the website. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> and I believe it was written up in one of the art publications. One of the. Yeah, I don't know. We actually had about four things of press that actually came from that show. So, it was a quick turnaround, but it it went really well. And then the last show of that grouping was um, Ilona Golovina, and yeah. she's our uh, photo journalist type right. that was She's the show My Friend Lucia yeah. which uh, fe that was by Ilona Golovina mm -hmm. right and I see a series of portraits it's centered around photography yeah. and uh, I see the language that that was previously used in photography how do you think it was reclaimed by Lucia well, and then some of the photographs, I believe, were up from the other artists of her. Mm -hmm. So she morphed into many different personalities, I guess, depending she on... She was kind of the central... Muse. Muse, the yes. point. 
Yeah, I felt like the from what I saw online that the show is portraiture in shifting forms, interpretation and perception of the muse as subject, because the subject Lucia was cast in so many various roles, which are all herself. It wasn't acting, but they all seem so diverse. I guess interpreted by the different photographers, right. she be morphed into whatever they kind of made her. And then we, Amelia can talk about uh, our invitational show, which that was actually really fun, exciting. And, it was a great show. Um, it just oh, yeah. came down. Uh, the title of that was Rune. And um, there was a large number of artists, I think 18. It went really well. Uh, we had a lot of people at the opening, a lot of interest. Uh, curators came by. Uh, people that weren't able to make the opening came by. And I was talking about all the different artists and showing them around. It was went really well. Yeah, that was a beautiful show. I did see that one. And we actually had, we have to commend Amelia because we had hundreds of entries yes. that we had to filter through and she I did right. I looked at some of them but she took the brunt of that so one. it was it's interesting because I had never actually done an invitational where it's just anybody uh, so I put out the invite for people to apply and you know it being a pretty new gallery and us being newer curators I was worried that I wouldn't get enough applications. And so I was thinking I might get 20, 25 applications. So I got over 150. So uh, it, within those 150, each person was able to submit three images of their work. So then I had to go through each image right, so that's and, and then choose work for the show. So, yes, it was a... It was quite a process. But yeah. I, I'd just like to jump in and say the most incredible part, though, I think, is that literally we she we really didn't have anything set for the show because they've been sort of each partner has been deciding which month they want to curate and sort of determining themselves. But literally, so within um, two weeks, we said, OK, let's just do an open call. And we send out a couple emails and then boom, within it was like from a Friday to a Friday, two weeks. And then it was like choosing the the artist for that show by that weekend and then starting that Monday. So on a Friday after of the two weeks, it was like started choosing the artwork by Sunday. The artist had been chosen, had been notified, and they started delivering their work on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And then the opening of the show was literally that next Friday. So from the time we sent out the first, we decided to do it, sent out an email. There was a three-week window and, and that was it. And it's like, boom, and we put on this amazing awesome show. Amelia worked really hard for that show. So Thank you. That the artists show. in that show, I'll just read them. Because Please, I yeah. Uh, Paul Brainard, Ryan Frank, Sarah Furman, Jude Greibel, Jen Hitchens, Caitlin McCormack, Saren Morley, Miller Opie, Taisha Naumovich, Lainey Nemet, Anna Oritz, Hilary Ramo, Lauren Silberman, Keith Siriccio, Gian Tremel, and Virginia Wagner. And it kind of goes into my next question, and it's a little bit of a review, my own review, but I found the image by Keith Sergio, uh, which was also used as a cover photo for the exhibition, especially moving. Um, it's a photograph of an abandoned roller coaster flooded by the ocean water taken on the beach along the Seaside Heights, New Jersey shoreline uh, in 2012. 
and just for our listeners who don't know, this was an event that had been seared into New York City citizens' consciousness during the Sandy Hurricane as images of this submerged roller coaster were printed in numerous newspapers and made headlines at the time. Circio reminds us of this haunting moment and presents it in a seductive, atmospheric, sunlit, reddish tone, reminiscent, and even maybe derivative of postcard-esque romantic beach sunsets. It becomes an unexpected mixture, the implication of trauma overlaid with serenity of a majestic, tinted, exaggeratedly reddened sunset. To me, the photograph brings to mind also the 18th century fascination with images of the ruin and touches on notions of nostalgia, a yearning for what has been lost. Specifically, it brought to mind the work of the 18th century artist Giovanni Battista Piranesi, famous for his etchings of Roman ruins, which he often dramatized through embellishments of, through imagined spaces. Uh, was that photograph by Sirichi a point of departure for you, and um, how did the exhibition form the, the subject? Uh, it actually was. Um, while the, uh, the previous exhibition was up, uh, I was thinking about what we could possibly do for this group exhibition and, you know, what it should be called, what feeling it should have. And uh, Keith, who I've known for years, uh, acquainted through being artists and just friends, uh, invited me to an uh, exhibition he was having in Soho. And I went to the exhibition, and he had a large number of photographs that he did. And walking around the room, looking at everything, one really, really struck my eye. And it was the same image that was in the show Rune and also on the invite, but it was a really uh, melancholy black and white image. And much of his work is done in black and white. And I looked at that, and I couldn't believe how disturbing, and I guess the word would be eerily beautiful it was. And it really, really led me to talk to him more about it. And then he, I said, can you send me an, an email of that image? I'm really interested. And he said, yeah, sure. And also, I did a larger one in color. I'm like, really? So I had never seen this. And he sent me the color one. And I'm like, there it is. That's the image. And in the same eerie way that the black and white photograph evokes this sort of, um, I guess a sense of being afraid and a sense of nostalgia and also a lighter, in a way, sense of doom. Uh, the color one does the same thing with the amped up uh, filtered colors. And I think, like you were mentioning, uh, a postcard sunset or something. But instead of, you know, people in bikinis and little kids running around, you see this basically image of what people remember from that hurricane and since i'm a big sci-fi fan it re reminds me of, of many many sci-fi movies where it's kind of the end of civilization yeah like how the everything planet of the apes right planet there's of the that apes, famous scene so many the of them do that at the, like where images Absolutely. of yeah. destroyed cities post-apocalyptic yeah. kind of post-society mm -hmm. echoing all of the works and I also sensed an element of romanticism so like going from sci-fi to you know framing with the romantic era the 18th 19th century approach the Victorian era and I actually found romanticism echoing in your art statement Amelia yes so much of my work has to do with 
yeah that yeah. period of history let me quote you i have a romantic urge to search for supernatural beauty in the natural world and uh that's uh, you know the romanticism which is uh, you know embracing the sense of you know emotion and individualism and not just order and and reason the ideals of enlightenment so how did you apply the romanticism through the lens into this show because i sense that it's there mm, it is there and i think as curators we can't separate ourselves almost at all from what we really like and what we do as artists and right. so i'm you know permeated by feelings of what i like and what influences me and whatnot and you know starting with that first image uh keys the roller coaster I started going through all the application on the images and I was drawn to certain things uh, that w were about that. Of course, the title was out there, so people submitted work knowing the title of the show was Rune, and then they also knew the definitions of Rune before they submitted. So uh, it was already people submitted work that they thought would fit. But within those applications, uh, I looked for people who in the way that they were working, were balancing a sense of the rune, but also touched a lot on the rune that we might have in our society right now with our political environment, with, uh, you know, global warming, climate change, just things that we see every day uh, in the media that, it, you know, gives us this, this kind of sense of, of, you know, sorry, but doom, you know, in a way. And so... I, I chose artists that reflected that, and I also chose artists that in some way with the pieces that, that they submitted had a lot to do with other work in the show. So when the show was up, you could walk around the gallery and you could see um, formalistic similarities in a lot of the work, just the w different sorts of, of uh, you know, line qualities, different sorts of shapes, different sorts of things, and people were using this uh, formally to create work that had was about, you know, rune or the sense of rune. So that's how it all came together. And would you elaborate on, like, the examples of works that, that you showed, how it was implemented? Um, uh, well, so... How was it all tied together? Okay, that? okay, so... For example, a lot of it, when I was choosing these artists, I was cataloging their images in my brain. Because you cannot look at 150 applications, three images each. So I, I went through a few, you know, a number of times, but when I went through, I would think of an image that stuck in my mind. Um, and uh, uh, for example, there was Anna Ortiz, an artist in the show, and she had this wonderful, kind of surreal, but scary. Uh, beautiful pink little paintings of it's almost a mound or a pile of different things and um, then as I, I went through the applications I believe the artist was Lainey Nemet yep. so she has it's uh, the uh, the title of the piece was called Neighbors and I'm not sure but I think it was a oil painting of a pile of this weird detritus and sticks and stones and everything in the neighbor's yard and both of the images were almost the same but but completely completely from different angles different styles and I just thought that would work really good together. So, um, and in the show, they were hung right next to each other. So then, you know, 
in a similar fashion to that, I would go through and find similarities in other works that were submitted and then think in my mind what would look nice next to something else and also what the work was about. So, Before we did the final um, decision, um, I came and met with Amelia and I had looked at some of them, not as many as she did, and it turned out that our aesthetics and our choices were very similar, that we agreed on quite a few of the artists. So it was interesting that we both had the same feeling from the original mm-hmm. photograph. But I do have a, some one thing I need to mention to artists, and I'm an artist, they really, when uh, there's an open call, for work they really should read what the theme of the show is and what the concept is before sending work in because we did have quite a few people submit work that had absolutely nothing to do with that idea and I feel they couldn't justify what they were sending to co- coordinate with the theme of the show mm-hmm. just you did have a definition of the yes, word, yes. so they couldn't have like misunderstood. Like, oh, do you mean runes like the uh, ancient? There was a no, ancient runes is okay. That was fine. I just, I just think, you know. But um, yeah, so that just made it more difficult to sort through. I really enjoyed the process, though. I mean, it was a lot of work, but I met at least half of the artists. I had no, had never met them before. They weren't friends of mine. I hadn't seen their work or anything and I think just you know we are fortunate in a way as as much as a lot of people you know love to hate Facebook and Instagram and things like that it is a really good tool uh, for spreading the word about open calls and shows and things like that because even though this person you know that reads it may not be your friend they're probably friends of one of your friends and so that's how we had such a great response to it and I met a lot of interesting people and uh, I just think it turned out really well yeah, it was a real learning experience, and um, I think uh, we have we have a new project coming down the pipe that I can talk about later. But we're we're gonna sort of um, tailor the new process for open calls, and it's gonna be a more online. And um, we have a project we're working on that we can talk about in a little while. Well, you can talk about it now. Period. Yeah, tell us, tell us. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> so so. Um, we're we're all at the royal we're all about sort of building community and bringing people together and the open call was a great um sort of way for that sort of coming together and bringing people together that you haven't met and you get to see and meet so many new people so um but when we first uh, when martin and actually first took the space um we had wanted to do some sort of um a bigger project that was like listings and opportunities and events and artist profiles and so now we are actually since the new partners are involved and um everything is sort of um ramped up and we're really going now so our next project is called the royal list and so starting in september um basically by the first of september um we are we have a new website it's going to be called the royalist.com and um the first thing that will start out will be the artist profiles so anyone can go on there and you can create free everything on the site is going to be for free and so you create art free artist profiles and um the free next, and for everybody not just yep. people 
in. So it would be kind yeah. of like a directory of, yes. of yeah. artists. Yeah. yeah. And and so the next time that we do open call, more than likely it'll probably be in December, and um, we're going to use that process basically to tailor the people that want to be involved in the next show and so and we will use that site to look at artist work and then use artists from there to put in our shows going forward so not only the artist calls but it will also be an, a tool for us to present artist work basically yeah it's a real online platform mm-hmm. for yeah. our artists and also for us kind of a curatorial catalog where we can go to the site and then not have to remember, oh, I remember that person, I think they do this, and then go to that artist's website. Uh, We can also do that, but that artist will have images and an artist statement and information about themselves right on this website. So basically what we'll do is like the next time we send it out, like we send out an email and it says, you know, go to your artist profile, it create a free profile, um, add, you know, the first, like whether we say three or six images, whatever, and that's what we'll be looking at. But those images will be used for the show. And so you update your profile for this open call. And then they all they have to do is just like literally, you know, the link to their profile is what we'll use instead of receiving hundreds and hundreds of emails with hundreds of images images basically and then and then within the next um you know couple weeks after the launch of this once this starts getting going then we'll have um studio listings apartment listings um anything that artists and this is highly curated so any it has you have to be signed in you has to be registered to actually see whether it's the the um, artist profiles or whether it's the listings or the opportunities and events like you can see the beginnings of what it is is, but you can't see the details unless you are a member. So it's like we understand. It's like we want people to be part of the community. We're giving a free service. It's like we're going to be using it as a tool for the gallery to grow the gallery and to grow the community. So that sounds like really under the key phrase of inclusiveness, which is so important right now, uh, hearing this very polarized discourse in, in politics. I would think it's like a dictionary definition of what an open call would be, because if anyone can sign in, anyone can voice their vision in, you still select people in your networks, people that you meet, uh, curators, artists, to sign up. Definitely. So there is still uh, guiding principles, but it it is a truly open call in the way that it's operating in its own very structure. Yeah, we're really excited. Um, It's, you know, it's about bringing people together and, you know, making it possible to, um, you know, it's like you have a way to reach out to curators. You have a way to, you know, you can use this platform as your own. It's like marketing tool or whatever it is. Your Your own resource for like trying to get your name out there but also for us to see what you're doing um and it's really going to be a part of the gallery it's going to be part of the royal um the rsoaa under the platform of everything we're doing so we're super excited it's like you know we're just we want to grow the community we want people i want feedback um we're basically beta testing now and literally by the time this airs it will be live and it'll be up and running and so by our next show which is september 6th everything will be online and it's like it's ready to go so that's it's like that's when we're launching basically it's like right now 
So is that difficult, just on the, the nitty gritty, is that a difficult thing to build with a website like that? Because it, it must have a pretty big database, or well, it needs a, a lot of server space, I guess is the right word for that. Yeah, I, the, the, the quick answer is yes. <laughs> the Basically what's happened is there, the company that's helping me, um, we it's called Cyber New York, and it's they built a platform that's basically like a really robust WordPress. So it's like you can bring in all kinds of different, um, it, because it's so robust, you, anything that um, a client would need can come into this platform, whatever. It doesn't have the limitations that a lot of uh, like the WordPress or the Shopify sites and things like that. So basically, that's the platform that our site is being built on. So um, it's very customizable. And because of that, it's it's been a long process, but it's like super exciting when things are now working and it's like everything's connected and anyone can join and it's like the way that it's working right now um, I was working on it today and I mean I got I got tingles because it is it is awesome and it looks so, great yeah it's literally by it's like you know uh, in a few days basically it is launching so you know yeah so it's literally launching in a few days. by the time that this this you know goes live whatever it will be live and it is ready to go so it's the royallist.com how long has has it been in development uh, well, I mean, I want to say since we first took the space, because um, that's when we had originally talked about it. But um, basically, when um, I reached out and found our f four new partners, um, that was when it was like, okay, this needs to happen. So within the last couple months, all of these things have kind of like come together. It's like they've been percolating for the last you know couple of years. But it's really like having the energy of the four partners has really allowed us to go like, okay, look what we're doing. How can we go to that next step? Look what these amazing ladies are achieving. And it's like, let's bring it all together. And it's like, let's, you know, help the community. So it's wonderful because artists are creating platforms for other artists, which we didn't have for so long. I mean, we don't have many galleries left in Williamsburg. Greenpoint, yeah. so there's no venue, um, so this is part, how we create one. Part of it's also coming about because it's like because I have so many studios and I'm constantly replacing artists that are in the studios. It's like I have to post uh, constantly. Now, I have a couple of renters that have stayed with me for the last six and a half years, and I've been really lucky that I've had a really great group of international artists that have come through um, from Austria and from Japan. And right now I have someone from Israel, someone from New Zealand. And so because I'm constantly thinking about posting, having to post, having to put it on different platforms, um, pay for some platforms, put it on other platforms that are free. Um, it's like it's been in my sort of like, you know, space of like thinking about this a lot. And so because I'm like we have studios we have spaces i'm constantly posting we might as well have the same thing ourselves and so it's just about being like it's it's a curated space and you the reason you have to be registered is because i want people to know that there's not going to be um there's no fees like i don't want managers or i don't want real estate agents putting on you know properties or studios that have fees because it always like pisses me off when i'm going looking for studios and things like that so it 
it has to be a curated space. It has to be something that I would want to go look at that space. And so that's where it sort of came from. And then as we're building it out, it'll like there'll be opportunities and events and things like that. Just because we're so involved and things are happening around what we're doing and the four different partners have their own sort of projects that are going on that sort of lends to like, okay, here's another space that we can use to sort of promote what is happening and plus the open calls, different things like that. All right, which is so important to bring this inclusivity, um, which is now such polarized term also politically, and the, the real estate, which pushes out small galleries and artists from their studios. The rents are raising sky high. So this is very contemporary and very innovative solution to find uh, you know, space and voice for artists to exist it's, it sounds uh, like it's meeting those demands and finding those alternative ways. Yeah, I mean, to, to basically, there. I mean, the Royal was basically kind of started because of that, like getting kicked out of one building, getting sold, having to look for another space. And then with this, you know, two years ago, this building getting sold, but then we were able to stay. And But, you know, we got lucky this time, and that's why the partners were able to come on board. But, um, you know, next time, what's going to happen? And it's like, but in the meantime, it's like I'm still posting studios I'm like looking for people and it's like you know we might as well be part of this too because it's like if we have studios I want to be able to post on there and say look we have a studio you know it's available you guys get first chance you get first dibs mm -hmm. at that studio so you know and How I many think studio spaces are in your there there's seven um, seven total and um, then the, and plus the galleries in the front. It's all ground floor. And so um, there's like, we have a photographer, we have like three painters, we have a stylist, and we have an illustrator. And so it sort of has changed. Um, you know, it's like, we, uh, it's like every uh, two or three of the, two of the people have actually been there from the very beginning. And then, but most people stay for a long time. I've been really amazingly fortunate. And I love when we have, like I said, I love when we have international people. So like right. one of my best friends, he was from Japan and we just, we just became best friends while he was here for about uh, almost two years, basically. And basically he had to go back to uh, Tokyo. Um, he's like, you know, typical story. He came, but he was like running out of money. He's like, I got to go back, you know, but it was really sad to have him leave. But, um, you know, somebody else came in. And so it's like, and it just works out. It's amazing. Coming back to this question of uh, inclusiveness and also the term that's in the very name of the Royal Society of American Art, the American, the American-ness. That's also another polarized term. And since you mentioned politics reference before Amelia, I wanted to like bring that also because the question of Americanness is uh, right now, you know, defined in the arts in response to the political uh, discourse and how this term is being used as a tool, you know, of, of hostility and discrimination by the U.S. Executive Office racist rhetoric, like the scandalic sent her back, shunned after Trump cast, you know, castigated Minnesota Representative Omar with a litany of accusations, which is now recently circulating in the media, and as well as the notorious bullying of the U.S. Congresswoman. Trump said, why won't they go back where they came from, right? So... And then, like this, this question of Americanness is being also reflected in the art world, in like the Whitney Biennale. They basically host the show under the key umbrella phrase of inclusiveness. So I wanted to ask you, like, what do you consider American in? 
facing the current, you know, political discourse. I would say that, like, um, you know, us, when we chose the name, it was more of like an ironic, humorous way of looking at the name that we chose. It, it had nothing to do with being political. And plus, this is six years ago when Trump was nowhere around and there wasn't the sort of this polarization that there is right now. So, um, you know. I think being here in New York, we're all sort of in the liberal arts, and you can say we're all more towards the liberal, you know, just New York in general, we're all sort of that. So all of our peers, everyone we know, kind of, we all kind of think the same of what's happening. Um, now, as for the gallery, we're not really in the political realm, and we're all about building community. So, you know, all the things that are going on politically, um, we try, we're, we're looking out for other people, and we're especially, like like I said, I love when I have international people involved in the studios, and we're trying to have shows, you know, in the space by bringing international artists in the space, and I've curated shows that are international. Um, so we're, we're not really looking for um, a political bent to anything that we're doing because we want to bring people together. And just like the platform that we're building, that's basically anyone can join it. I know it's like it, it's the royal list. It's not necessarily the Royal Society of American Art under that umbrella. But so it's kind of like a, a separate you don't have to say that it's the American art, under, even though it is under that umbrella. Yeah, I mean, I think. The irony, I think, is there because it's antithesis to American history. The entire premise of American uh, Americanness is that it was never a royal. I mean, unless you count pre-revolution and British colonial rule. But I, I well, we're all refugees. All come from other places. As, as Americans, we we all sort of this country was founded on rebelling against royalty, and yeah, so, so that's 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 the, the irony, that's the irony yes, that comes into it. You know, that. so it's like it, it seems very prestigious, but really. You know, it's like, you know, it's like going to a dive bar or something. And sometimes you want to go to this amazingly lovely Irish bar or something that's just a hole in the wall that is like makes you feel warm instead of going to that cold sort of space. And so um, when we started, it, you know, it's, let's have fun with it. We're really just a big warehouse that is an open space. We, we don't look like a, you know, a Chelsea gallery. We don't look like a high-end you know, Upper West Side, Upper East Side kind of gallery. We, we, we're from Brooklyn. You know, we are Brooklynites. Everyone we're around, it's like, it's our peers. That's what we're about. Yeah, definitely not pretentious. And, and that was so important to hear what you just said, because Brooklyn community is so diverse. It's actually your programming. You said that the royal is not political, but like what you do informs the discourse and it's like a cure to what's happening in the discourse and in Brooklyn, what's happening with the gentrification and with the polarized landscape. So uh, through the programming and through your vision, we bring that connectivity, that inclusiveness and opening, you know, space to international artists. Yeah, we, we do our best to like like bring people together and, and like I said you know even like we don't really we're not scheduled a year out from now one reason we did the open call this summer was because literally we didn't know what we were going to do for this month 
for like having a show it's like it wasn't scheduled so i've told some friends you know joking at openings and things like you know if you come to our openings and you come support the space there's a pretty good chance there's probably like a 90 percent chance that you might be in a show in like three months so if you want to come and be part of a space like we are the space right now it's like we're we're not scheduled out a year in advance we're we're not scheduled out you know, six months into that, we're we're like two months. That we know what's going to happen in October, but I'm not sure we know what's in November right now. But it, but we kind of do know we're going to have an open call in December. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's like the the partners they decide what is happening. But we're everybody's working together, and we have such great communication, or they have such great communication. I'm just sort of let them like whatever they want to do. They are in charge. Oh, That's, you're my mentor. <laughs> The recent show, Ruin, I wouldn't say it's a non-political subject because whenever you're dealing with topical subjects such as global warming, that becomes political on some level, um, even though it may not directly be about politics. So, But, you know, it's funny, uh, many years ago I went to see a theater piece through Shoshama, and it was a really interesting theater troupe, and they call themselves something to the tune of American national theater society and it was an ironic name and i got into a conversation with them after and they said they have to change the name unfortunately because they were being sued by the united states government well you know in your case royal there is no such thing as in the, anything royalty. that's national it's like they right. come down they on use you basically. the word national because but the, i i always remembered them and i remember their name because everyone loves uh, a smart ironic and funny somehow using a little bit of humor is always appreciated i think uh coming back to the idea of community i would love to talk about your upcoming show the analog garden which is opening up just so soon september 6th which and it's informed by our local brooklyn community gardens and i also pass Uh, a couple of those on my way to work every day and um, I was wondering what were the guiding principles and how did you resource the artists for that okay so the analog gardens is your yes I curated that so I was thinking about you know the community gardens those are voids filled between residential and businesses that were once filled with trash and now they are like an oasis a, a garden a miracle a maze and you say there are bits and pieces of painted canvases, stuffed animal sculptures, reworked public artworks made into furniture, decaying architectural ornaments, handmade mosaic fountains, homemade shrines, chicken coops. Really? Like even chicken coops? Yeah, there is. There's a really uh, great uh, community garden uh, right in the middle of the Lower East Side. I forget the exact name, but... You walk in there and you walk around and all of a sudden there's this cool, you go through this little arbor and all of a sudden I go around the corner and there's this really cool big red chicken coop full of chickens. And it's just, it's really interesting to me how a lot people can take bits and pieces of things that, you know, are destroyed or, you know, things from, you know, loved ones from past lives and collect them and put them in a space and arrange them in such a way that even though they don't consider themselves artists, it truly is walking through there. And that sort of notion of that process 
of attributing meaning to things and then the layering and the collecting uh, led me to choose the artists that I chose for this upcoming exhibition because uh, each one of them has a certain painstaking process to what they do and they combine materials just like in the community gardens you walk through um, in strange ways to come up with these new um, works that looked at um, quickly you wouldn't see or the the process you wouldn't see the process but closer inspection you can really see how they're built so that's how these artists all came together so are these artists uh, identities are visual artists or these artists are all visual artists they would consider themselves visual artists Uh, the way that they work is not in such a traditional vein. For example, Eric Benson has a process of, he paints, his paintings are considered acrylic on canvas, but he's not painting acrylic on canvas. He rolls paint in different layers out onto glass. And then using an X-Acto knife, he cuts out shapes of the acrylic, peels them off, and then affixes them to the canvas uh, with other materials uh, to create his paintings. So uh, there is other pigments in there, like uh, like using some airbrush and things like that. But the uh, bits and pieces of his paintings that look like it might be a decal or a sticker, they're not. They're actually acrylic paint that he silkscreen and made this paint film that he cuts and then puts on so uh when you come to the opening and you look closely you can see all these little layers and these little cuts and he's been one of my favorite artists for years and i appreciate what the the composition and actually what his paintings look like but also the painstaking process and just the amounts of time and patience it takes him to make these little pieces uh, and turn into this great whole which is paintings as you can see on the website there's some examples of this wonderful work yeah I'm looking at it right now actually and I, I'm also looking at Brent Owens yes who is uh, implementing these very surreal paintings on wood logs mm-hmm. and like remnants of like discarded wood so right. he's repurposing wood in a way Uh, hopefully I'll be able to show a piece that he did uh, called Six Pack and he literally carved a six pack of beer out of wood (laughs) and it's just wonderful just again the the painstaking process and the time and the strange use of materials and that's opening September 6th September 6th 7 to 10 p.m. Wonderful. And Janet, may I ask you about the exhibition that you curated, Dark and Turbulent Galaxies? I mentioned it earlier, but it would be great to hear more about it in your own words. Okay. Um, again, I'm a, a very big fan of sci-fi, fantasy, metaphysics, uh, you know, psychic phenomena, celestial phenomena. And um, I chose to deal with something... And it was funny because they discovered that black hole right before the show opened where they actually had a visual picture of a black hole. And so the artists that I chose, I, I chose to show myself, which I know is unorthodox, but I had some pieces that really relate to this subject. And I felt that in order to get my collectors uh, to come in to the gallery that I would need to bring my own work. And then I I had people that I knew were working in that genre, but 
I was also looking for somebody to do an installation piece or a textile piece, and I really didn't know anyone. And I looked online, I actually found a woman in Arizona who's did these celestial textiles, but she said she just didn't have enough time because we were, again, on a little time budget. And through friends that recommended friends that recommended friends, I got Susan Shutan, and she is fairly well known. She shows all over, and she does site-specific installations, and she came in and did uh, kind of a a string and canvas piece on the wall and we became very good friends after that Mm -hmm. so the show I felt was very successful Um, it led me into some other curating another very big show and in Long Island City at Plexel Gallery which in turn some of our people from the Rune show ended up showing with them so it's become like a little circle which has been nice because everybody's circulating through a group of shows which will be what we'll have when we have the royal.com can you describe in more detail your space in Berryville? So that, that gallery closed, oh, unfortunately, okay. um, a few years ago when the person who was curating that owned the space moved to New Rochelle. So right now in Berryville, it's only my studio. Mm-hmm. And then you have upcoming show in November that will be actually at the Royale. Yes, so that show... you so, announce it and sure. talk about it? So the title has changed, and, um, and it might change again, but it's basically a group of artists that I've always admired who are doing characters, portraits, but very dark in nature. So it will be most likely called Identity Crisis. And we will have like one metal worker who has done plasma cut steel with glass. And so um, his image is of a kind of a woman who, it's called the goddess, and his name is Walter Kennel. And it was based on somebody actually knew and was one of those people that kind of burned themselves out. So the woman has burning hair. Uh, I have Paris Jarreau. He's a Brooklyn artist, uh, somebody that I know, and I've always admired his work. And he does very vivid, colored, almost cartoon-esque characters. Uh, He said he's less interested in the image of the person than the truth of their soul. So they're really wonderful, and he's on board. Uh, Carrie Skosek, who's been a Williamsburg artist and very active here for many years, and I've always liked her work. And again, she deals with mostly characters and portraits. Uh, She does leno cuts of very famous people, which I told her for the show I don't want anything recognizable so I chose other work she does dolls so I will have one of her dolls great and I I wanted to ask you a question about your own practice because all of you are artists Mm -hmm. and uh, we would like to touch on how you navigate between the two roles as an artist and a curator patron so your work navigates between architecture and sculpture welding iron work furniture design so tell us about how you navigate between the interior design elements the functional art and sculpture i started off as a fine artist and out of necessity started to do functional art or furniture and i just fell into that genre for a while i did international furniture fair i 
sold a lot of work. I did a lot of commissions doing functional art, which led to architectural. Uh, I was doing a lot of railings, but very artistic railings for some very, very exclusive homes. Um, then I just wanted to go back into the abstract, into sculpture. So I have all of them under my belt, but I prefer doing sculpture. And recently I've been doing some outdoor work, so that's a new focus that I want to do some public art. And so somehow, it, because of that, I know a lot of artists. I've met a lot of artists, so it's a great opening for me to help other people to show. So now as a curator... I'm able to help people where maybe I wasn't helped at, at one time. And uh, t- uh, to touch on your practice, Amelia, uh, so you redefine the uh, legacy of romanticism, but also you bring in the female gaze and vision. I see there's an undertone of feminist lens in your work and uh, from like your statement. In this new body of work, I see the, these new islands as an experimental model of the fairer sex within and beneath the gaze of these impetus conquerors. These are very, very um, monumental, powerful statements. Uh, As I rework the female form under this model, informed by the fascinating bondage of the triple goddess, a a new frontier. So tell us about how are you reclaiming the idea of a frontier, which is so much, you know, embedded in the male narrative, the male entrepreneur, who is the new frontier as a she in this sense? Um, I, I, I think it's what we make it, honestly. But um, what what I what I do a lot is I become obsessed with a, a story or a fable, uh, historical, and I'll research that. And most of the time, there are so many strange, obscure happenings surrounding these myths, and or stories. And so I'll take that as a, a platform, and then I'll dive off. And through painting, sculpture, installation, uh, I'll try to recreate a world, you know, uh, my own rendition of of the story that I read or that notion in history. Um, And so a a lot of it has um, a feminist bent to it, um, mostly because the stories that I'm discussing a lot have to do with the way that women were portrayed at that time in history. Um, you know, for example, I did an exhibition about uh, Catherine the Great, and there's many stories about how she passed away and what her lifestyle was like, um, all of which were pretty much not true. And the reason that, you know, she gets such a bad rap is because she was a powerful woman, and, you know, basically everything that stems from that. So right now I'm working on a body of work about a woman in um, 1730s England who supposedly gave birth to 18 rabbits. And her name was Mary Toft. And this actually did and didn't happen. At that time, because medical science uh, wasn't what it is, and of course the media wasn't what it is today, uh, people believed that this happened and nobody really knew about women's bodies and things like that. And it turned out to be a hoax, but only after it was explored by many people and even the king of England at the time. So um, I, right now I'm working on that. <laughs> and I have... That's amazing. It is. So if you... Uh, I have um, some work about that uh that's 
um, on my Facebook page, Amelia Bewald Artist. Um, it should be on my website as well. I'm getting that fine-tuned right now. Um, and also I have an upcoming exhibition at uh, Rosalux Gallery in Minneapolis, uh, which is a space similar to the Royal, in which it's um, an artist member gallery. And so I have a show coming up there in November. I'm going to do a site-specific installation concerning uh, something about this woman and her rabbits. Um, I like the, the research aspect of these two projects, where you as an artist explore these as a researcher. Oh uh, yeah, and a lot of the reasons I, I come upon these stories is because I've always been an art history buff and I pretty much almost went back and got a master's in art history uh, instead I ended up doing it in, in visual art but uh, I look at different historical paintings and the reason I, I found out for example about this woman Mary Toft is I was researching William Hogarth and I was trying to figure out I wanted to paint or draw the way that he makes his etchings. And so I wanted to have that line quality uh, through painting. And I was looking very closely at a lot of his works. And one of his not-so-famous works was uh, a portrait of this woman, Mary Toft. And then I said, Mary Toft, I wonder what... And I started reading, and I'm like, oh, my God. And it's the, the, de the details are even more gruesome than I should probably <laughs> say on the show about her life story. But it's, uh, it's very interesting. So um, you mentioned the rabbits, and I actually saw um, uh, use taxidermy animals mm -hmm. in your work a lot. Verter effects, use mirror found objects and the taxidermy, also in Coma Bernice series. And taxidermy associates itself, again, uh, with me, like Victorian times. And then in rural folk art, it's very romantic. Going back to the Parthenon of, like, the male artist that, that I would quote here, Joseph Boyce was the one who was using it in, like, for example, how to explain pictures to a dead hair. And he was pushing, you know, the boundaries of what defines an artist and his social sculpture, you know, everyone is an artist kind of acronym for transforming society. And because your work also has, carries the elements of, like, uh, creation myth. It's, it's its peculiar mythical environment. Where do you launch the myth? And if you could talk about the stuffed animals, too. Oh, um, I think the myth comes from, like, after I do research and I, I, I learn about this world or these, these things in which these people actually did or didn't live, I have to recreate as an artist because that's what we do is we create things. And so for me, to create an environment that references that but is it's unique and its own, I think is a lot more interesting to bring people into that sort of world and actually have them develop an interest in the subject that I'm creating installations about. So, yeah, I, I basically have an idea and I think about all the different elements of it and how I'm going to put that together at the end. And so in a way, yeah, I am creating a world, but I start with bits and pieces and it kind of comes together as a whole at the end. But um, and a lot of the work I do is site-specific, so depending on the space, for example, if I would do a show in a large uh, space in a, in a gallery or museum, it might be a lot different than if I'm doing uh, an installation as part of a show and I have a, you know, a small room. So it really depends on how I'm going to use the space. Um, if I don't have a space to do the work, a lot of it is 
in my studio in various um, forms of being finished and then it will come together when I get that space which usually happens just sometimes not exactly when I want it to happen and Jason coming to your uh, your practice I, uh, I found your work uh, referencing abstract expressionism painting, but you redefine it in your own individual way. You use like direct paint on unprimed canvas, combines sculpturally into a collage or a sculptural painting, uh, like in the Lionheart from this, uh, this year's uh, series, which you tagged on Instagram. Self-portrait, Egyptian casket, tomb, mummy, tent, camping, eighth mile. So what do those signify? How do those concepts integrate in, in an abstract painting and in the latest Lionheart series? Well, the the most recent series is uh, based on the eighth mile, which is um, an eighth mile is my dad actually sells muscle cars and I grew up around fast cars my whole life. So it's like and he actually he, he sells Mustangs, Camaros, Corvettes all around the world internationally, basically. And so I actually I help him with that when he's posting and things. So I'm constantly involved in that. And so in this last year or so um, for this new series, all basically under the eighth mile project, um, all of the paintings are like eight feet tall by seven feet, but they all connect. So right now there's there's been nine paintings in this current series, and if you put them all together, it's basically all like one painting. So because I'm actually trying to go 660 feet, which is the amount of um, how long when you when you drag race on the street, you go um, like an eighth of a mile basically. So that's 660 feet. So like each of these paintings, if you go if you look at the like the left hand and then the next painting the or the the right hand of the one painting and then the left hand of the next painting um, the two or three elements will actually come together um, to continue so if you put three of these paintings together it's basically could be one painting or you can put all nine or until I keep going and because of the drag racing and fast cars and all these things I started adding um, and with this series specifically I started adding a few more portrait sort of elements so they have elements that are from like stripes or cars or hot rods things like that that i grew up around that uh because we are racing things like that um lionheart was actually for the most recent one it has a little that one actually has a a figure of a casket and then inside the casket is my outline of my full size and then inside of the outline is a skeleton And then it's basically a tent, and part of the tent was on the previous painting, and then the full sort of like triangle that basically looks like a pyramid is on this painting. And then inside where the tent flap is is a portrait of me when I was like maybe between five to seven years old, and it was it was printed on like a, a dot matrix, kind of like almost what you would say like a typewriter back when, you know, like 30 years ago, whatever. So it was before there was any sort of like ink jets or anything like that. And I basically have a, t- a, a tiny little T-shirt uh, from that time period. And it's the only image I have of myself in that sort of dot matrix sort of thing. So it's part of that. So that's it's like that's the most overtly of like this is a self-portrait. But the whole kind of series kind of goes along with sort of like throwing, adding a few elements and saying like, okay, this is what my life is kind of being about. And then, you know, it, there's always been a darker element to a lot of my work, a lot about mortality. There's always been um, when I first kind of started, um, came out of school, 
it's like I was making a lot of sculpture and things like that. And I was probably making sculpture mainly because I had worked for Jasper. And every time I had come up with a painting idea, it was like, well, he did that in 1963 or he did that in 1972 or something. And I was like, well, I, it's like to try to stay away from those kind of elements. I was like, I made a lot of sculpture at that time. But I've always, since I first came to New York on the apprenticeship at Universal Limited Art Editions, it's like that very first day I actually met him. I, you know, worked with Rauschenberg and Kiki Smith and Ter- Terry Dunham, or Terry Winters, Carol Dunham, sorry. And um, that sort of like, even before them, I always kind of wanted to be a painter. And so I've always had paintings in the, every show that I've done because I had lots of different, I'm very textile, uh, texture oriented. And so I, I've been throwing like different elements when I have a show. So there'd be video, there'd be drawing, there'd be painting, there'd be sculpture. But now it's like my practice is sort of tailored more towards I'm doing monumental paintings at, at the moment. For me, it it did strike me that there seems to be a, a kind of influence, maybe that's not the right word, but um, of Rauschenberg in that piece that you were describing with the self-portrait in the kind of layering of photography into the canvas, onto the canvas. I think it'll have a nice uh, drop shadow. Like when that painting is shown, it's like the 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 tint. You're basically looking through this little sort of wire, or it's like a a mesh basically. And so like the the portrait will actually be on the wall, and then the painting is separate. So there's actually like a two inch gap there, basically. You know, it's sort of ca- it's as if you're you're inside of that tent or that space, whatever. Yeah, yeah and the idea of uh, mixing the personal story on these abstracted images where it's not the it's not the forefront it's not the foreground story but it's it makes sense to you as an artist and that shows and emanates through the work Uh, this actually that this most recent painting is the only it's the first painting that's actually had like imagery that's directly related to me in some way um because it's like they've just been basically abstract and it's like the theme was there but it's like I was like well I'm already doing this more you know self-referential sort of portrait sort of idea so it's like for this one let's throw it in there so. yeah and I was looking at your works that were that was in the show disappearance and dimension which I think you had mentioned was also in uh, it was in Beijing, Beijing. yeah there was Wu um, space is where it was yeah those were really interesting in the sense that they were uh, pushing and pulling between space and abstraction so on in some ways they they've opened into space yeah, I, it's, I, I was sort of, for the last couple of years, I've been really interested in sort of like this layer and depth of a two-dimensional surface and sort of sort of found like I'd have these, what I call them spikes or rays that come out. So they're almost like a big a spotlight, like little like white spotlights that come out from the center or of the space. So and then over when they're overlapping and things are happening, it's like I was trying to, it's like, okay, now I have the imagery down, but how do I push that imagery so I have depth within that imagery and then make it more complex because it's still an abstract space because it's like you know it, there's one thing just to throw you know paint on the canvas and then you have a completely two-dimensional surface but how do you take that surface and then push it back 
but yet still have a completely abstract image and you know idea that you're kind of talking about so in all of those paintings were done with a knife and so the straight edges are done like actually using a tool of a knife because I wanted that sort of metaphor of like having something with the work that it's like what does that tool mean what does it mean when you're making a mark with a certain type of tool and with the rays coming out from that center form that actually reminded me of your earlier work porcupine baby I think you had that theme also reflected there that's from 2013 it that's actually quite starkly different body of work yeah you, you I were doing sculpture so I wonder yeah that was the time period when I was still doing sculpture. yeah there there's a you know it's like I said every show that I've had it's like I've had video sculpture painting everything sort of like as part of each show that I was putting together because it's like like Amelia in some ways it's like you when you're putting an idea together you're coming up with a world and you're trying to like how do these things play off each other it's the same thing I think when you're curating it's like you want the work to talk to each other but you want the work to be like in when you're curating you want the work to be different enough that you can actually go okay I understand what this theme is I understand what the title of this is but you want their work to it's like it needs to play on each other it needs to build on each other but yet be separate now when you're creating your own show and you're coming up with this bigger world that you're kind of working on it's like you want something that says okay this is about this idea this is about this idea but ultimately you want them all to be come together and say okay now i understand because you're telling an entire story it's like you know it's not a, a perfect narrative but it's like you can play off one thing to the next so speaking about your Decon Mary series from 2008, the Jill Baby, which reminds me of Patricia Piccini, and your The Death by Samurai, which is a very powerful work, I thought, and that, that reminds me of like Mauricio Catalan's we are the revolution. Were, were you referencing those artists uh, at all? Or no, I wasn't actually. Um, it's funny, and it actually relates to the gallery. The um, the the portrait piece, or the this death by samurai, basically, is actually that's me. So it's a portrait of myself, and it's like I'm impaled on a samurai sword hanging high up on the wall, and I'm wearing a suit as if it's like a funeral, but yet I have a samurai sword coming out of my heart. And it was actually when we first took over the royal RSOA, the whole warehouse space, it's like we we built out the space, and then like I said in the back, it's like the roof was like leaking, and there was dirt back there, and like um, the the, some of the pipes end up being clogged. Basically, I had done all this work, and one of um, Amelia's and I's very close friends, he helped me. Like, we were finishing the very last space, painted it, got the walls, everything was spaggled, it's ready to go. The next day, I'm going to start renting spaces, and here we go. Let's start up a new, you know, uh, kind of like the listing, um, the um, the Royal List site, everything. Like, man, we are super excited. It had been raining for like four or five days straight, and we literally put up the last bit of spackle and paint and it's ready to go and man let's go have a beer and we walk up to the front and it was like the place exploded it was like suddenly the 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 toilet's overflowing the roof is leaking there's water coming up from the ground it was insane and we we're like what in the hell just happened basically <laughs> And so, you know, it was like the initial launch of our space was like, oh, my God, we just spent thousands and thousands of dollars putting up and getting electric, getting redoing the roof like three times, basically, like we had done so much work. And it was like, 
what did we just what just happened right it you know it turns out that the the roof actually i think we'd only fixed it once at that point because it took two more times after that to get it to a point where it wasn't leaking the the pipes had been clogged and that was just from a previous renter basically <laughs> and and it was just like all this water that we had you know how new york is like we get these huge downpours and yeah. it just like comes been there was just a specific sort of four or five days in a row where it just like poured day after day and it was just like crazy and we were working so hard on this space and i had other people coming in and friends and everybody was amazing like getting this space like we have to get it going you know the idea it's like you're putting money into the space and if we don't get it rented how are we going to pay rent next month you know that kind of idea and when this thing just blew up on us we're like oh my god what's happened so you know, we kind of sat there for a couple of months and, um, and then finally the landlord, we worked with him and he said, okay, now, you know, we've tried all, we've done all these different things and now it's like, we can start renting and we're go, we're go, you know, and it was fine within, um, basically that next four or five days, I had every studio rented. I had everybody in there and I put up a show the next month. So it was like a main mindset in some ways, but it all kind of, it worked, it worked out. <laughs> so that specific that. piece, that well that piece was because I was so angry at our landlord, the owner of the space, that I was like, I'm gonna make an art piece about him. And then it was like, okay, let's let's dial it back a little bit, and then I made it about myself. And I figured, you know, if there's any way to go, I mean that would be amazing epic way that for the rest of your life or the rest of history it's like he died by samurai sword impaled you know on the wall basically so you that was titled the evil landlord yeah well, i mean but Something you know subtle. yeah or like can you say that you nailed the space and you nailed the royal society of american <laughs> art by nailing yourself it, it, it was kind of like you know what did we do and what what happened and literally so that was the first piece that i made when i moved into this space now on the on the other pieces like the decon the rat poison pieces um you know it's like um and also the the drill baby it was like um before that i was doing a lot of work about oil because my family has some sort of connections to the oil industry and when the boom crashed it really affected my family so the drill baby is like a you know perfect representation of a, a newborn baby that has tattoos that are of oil so it's like every kind of idea it's like there's a mary holding a a gas uh, um, handle basically pumping gas there's like the little barrels there's like fish that are in oil that are you know are soaked with oil there um there's another just some barrels that have been because of a shipwreck so anyway that was the drill baby and then the decon work was like my work's always kind of been about mortality death things like that and so is actually using the actual boxes and using that as a metaphor and then putting on things that were whether it was a Mary or a Buddha or something that's a complete opposite idea it was like putting opposites together I, is like one of my favorite thing to do when I'm making artworks basically you know it's so amazing that you all of your works are so different you one of you is a sculptor and sculptor and painter and installation artist and painter and your themes are also so divergent from history to abstraction to astronomy and mysticism. You must have very interesting conversations at your gallery with all of your different converging histories and thoughts. Well, I think it's been incredible just the amount of energy that as soon as the four partners came on board and what sort of happened when everyone came together and has their own diverse sort of backgrounds and ideas and things, it really made something amazing kind of happen with us. So I am so 
excited and proud and happy and fortunate that I'm now surrounded by these beautiful, amazing, talented ladies. And I think really great things are going to happen. So I'm, I can't, I can't, I can't be happier. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. I'm glad that I pointed to death by samurai because from chaos, the new worlds are born. So we're going to be signing out with another song by American Nomads. The title is A Revelation's Gonna Come, and I was going to ask Janet if you can speak to a, a little bit about the band that's playing okay. because so you have a personal Brooklyn-based band right <laughs> out of my firehouse uh, in Greenpoint. So uh, this song actually um, somehow was put on um, the, the Billboard AC charts, and it reached number six and had over 40,000 plays. Um, they, it passed for the first round of the Grammys. So it was a very exciting, it's a fabulous song. Um, high energy. Uh, this song uh, was written by conceptual artist Richard Humans, who writes a lot of the lyrics for the band. So again, as the Royale, we, uh, I have a firehouse in Brooklyn, in Greenpoint. Uh, my Tenants on the bottom floor are filmmakers. Uh, then I also have my best friend and his wife, Richard Hume, and Susan Darmianto, then myself and my husband. We're all artists, musicians, writers, videographers, so the house is, there's a constant something always going on. So it's wonderful. So. You know, so yeah, which again ties into the concept and the philosophy of the of every, RSA. And this is what it is. We all become, we've become a family. I feel very close with these people. Very democratic principles. <laughs> Inclusiveness, diversity, so thank community. You for being with us today. Thank, thank you so much thank for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And where will you? Now that your quest is done, my long-suffering friend, you prodigal son, I'll empty my bullets, break down my gun, tell other conflicts that I've lost and won. I'll confess to priests and whisper to none. Ask for forgiveness from my lost loved ones. I'll bask in the moonlight and worship the sun. Take pleasure in life as it's just me. Gonna come